0: Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, I want to shout out the great Katie Baker, a.k.a. Katie Bakes. Katie is covering the NHL playoffs so well right now. So if you're locked in on everything that's happening on the ice, go check out theringer.com and Katie Baker, because she'll get you up to speed. And also, if you want to check out Through the Ringer, she's on the show this week as a guest. Go do that now.
1: This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, as a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race. A young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the planet of the apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
0: On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are going to have one of the most decorated players in college basketball history. Yes, he is called Psycho T. Yes, he is hated by many, but he is loved by many, many North Carolina fans as well. And I am one of them. And uh, as an alum of the school, I just had to have him on the show, Kyle is and a lot of ringer people are getting upset right now. As I talk about another North Carolina guy coming on the show, but this is the one pass. He got into the hall of fame, the college basketball hall of fame. He's also going to be inducted with coach K. So we'll talk about coach K for any Duke people out there. We'll get into all of it. And I'll, I'll be nice about it, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the year, at the end of the road, at the end of it all, I can always tip my cap, you know what I mean? And even with Coach K, but Tyler Hansbrough is going to come on, going to tell some stories about his career, get into the weeds. One of my favorite, like, internet pictures, memes, whatever you want to call it, is the Michigan State team when they're all looking at Tyler Hansbrough bewildered, right? That is... Iconic, And I see it all the time come up. We'll talk about that and just kind of how basketball has changed, specifically college basketball, coaching, how that is impacted at the NBA and the college level. A great conversation. I also want to talk about the NBA draft lottery that we saw last night in Chicago. It was a fascinating television experience, a lot of hyperbole, a lot of excitement. Uh, for Hornets fans, we almost got it, you know what I mean? Another one, number two again, Alonzo Mourning, Emeka Okafor, Michael K. Gilchrist. You see the pattern. You know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, we'll get into all that. going to be a jam-packed show. Kyle, anything else before we get into this?
2: My voice is back and my tab is open, but first... Woody Durham. He takes the timeout.
0: All right, welcome back into One Shining Podcast. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and we are at Spotify HQ. Myself, producer Kyle, I'm looking right at him. Um, It's been a a long week, a lot of conversation in the world of basketball. As you probably heard and saw last night, the NBA draft happened. Oh, wait, no, it didn't. It was just the (laughs) draft lottery. Um, I, I was fascinated by this whole coverage. I was fascinated by what was happening in the NBA circles last night. We got a great show for you today. Um, didn't want to bury the lead. We do have another North Carolina guy and I want to get ahead of this because the haters are going to come out. They're going to say, oh my God, is this just a platform for Tate to platform fellow North Carolina guys? Yep. Gotcha. Uh, that's happening. Just kidding though. Uh, Tyler Hansbro is getting into that's I did bury the lead. The, the guest is going to be Tyler Hansbrough. You probably saw that in the title. But Tyler Hansbrough got into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, along with the likes of Johnny Dawkins, one of the best Duke players of all time. Um, the coach of those Duke teams, Mr. K, a.k.a. Coach K. Um, he's going to get in there. We'll talk about those two guys as well. And then someone that's a little bit near and dear to my heart that people may not know, Tom Kanchowski. Um, who is one of the greatest scouts in the history of basketball, was very influential in the game, and he's a guy who helped run the five-star basketball camp. So I got to talk to to Mr. Konchowski a few times a few years ago before he passed away. And he was one of the best basketball minds I ever spoke to. He still had notes from players. Like you would ask him about Dominique Wilkins, right? And he would say, oh, yeah. And he'd pull out a notepad and he'd have 1977 notes on Dominique Wilkins. I mean, it it was unbelievable. Um, He was a human encyclopedia of basketball So just uh, someone that I love to see recognized and honored in the game. And if you wonder how Duke became such a recruiting juggernaut, you have to point to five-star and you have to point to Tom Kanchowski because Tom Kanchowski loved Mike Strzeski. He, uh, you know, and so did Garfinkel who ran the five-star camp. And, you know, there were players like Grant Hill, right, that went to five-star and they said, I don't know what school I want to go to. I may want to go to, you know, a smaller school like a George Washington. And those two guys said, son. You're one of the best players we've ever seen, and you should you know, think about going to a school like Duke, and uh, the rest is history. Grant Hill went to Duke, won two national championships, and Tom Kachowski, one of the people that was influential in that happening. So we'll talk about all that, but, but first I want to talk about the draft lottery because this thing opened up, Kyle, uh, hyperbole from the start. This is... <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And I've seen Hubert Davis talk about players that, you know, like DeMarco Dunn and Dontre Styles. he said, they're going to be players that are going to change the program. They're both now in the transfer portal. So um, I've seen hyperbole before at high levels, but the way that this opened up last night was quote, the way the ball bounces tonight changes everything, um, everything in the world of basketball. And then Woj, who is someone that I have uh, been fascinated by in the media space, he gets on the air. He says, this is the most consequential night in the history of the NBA. <laughs> he said that Victor Wimbanyama is the best player, will be the best player by his third season in the league. Um, I I have never seen something quite like this where, and, and Brian Windhorst flew to, to France, <laughs> and he was with Wimbanyama, did a 72nd interview at 2.30 in the morning, If you thought LeBron James, I remember in 2002 when LeBron first played on national TV, it was on ESPN2. You got Jay Billis on the call. An amazing moment in time. In the lead-in into the game, it was like Wilt, Kareem, Jordan, Magic. And it was like this amazing montage. And and then it kind of ended and it was like, LeBron, question mark, next? And then Bob Costas has this famous interview where he sits down across from 18-year-old LeBron, and he says, if you're not considered one of the greatest of all time, you're considered a bust. You understand that, right? And LeBron at 18 was kind of like, I mean, now that you say that, I, I guess, guess so. I guess so. I guess now that you've said that on national television, I have to live you know, kind of under that cloud for the rest of my career. And kudos to LeBron James, because he not only lived up to it, he exceeded those expectations. And I think that is why he is one of the greatest stories ever in sports. One of the greatest prospects, if not the greatest prospects in sports. And Woj even said this, Kyle, hyperbole again. He said that Wimbanyama is the greatest prospect in any sport (laughs) ever, ever. I don't want to yell, but um, I watched this last night. I was a little shocked. I was a little shook, but I did enjoy um, the representatives that they had there for the draft. Shout out to Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace is someone that if you enjoy just hard-nosed, tough basketball, you have to love Ben Wallace. And that 2004 Pistons team, they still are one of my favorite starting fives ever. I mean, just think about it. Chauncey Big Shot Billups, Rip Hamilton running around screens, Tayshaun Prince, Rashid Wallace, one of the greatest trades we've ever seen in a season. Um, and then, of course, Ben Wallace there at the five, Defensive Player of the Year. I thought Detroit was destined to get the number one pick. I really did. I, th- I thought it made too much sense on paper. You have Cade Cunningham. You have Jaden Ivey. You got Beef Stew already there, so Wimby doesn't have to play the five. I was excited. I was fired up. Um, but then things happen, right? Uh, the the powers that be, the ping pong balls, they start to roll, and we get down to the final situation, the final four. And my Charlotte Hornets made the cut. And I don't I hope is a dangerous thing. We've known this since Shawshank came out a long time ago. It's a very, very dangerous thing. But when they cut to commercial break, and I'm sitting there, there's four picks. It's the final four. For whatever reason, I start doing the math, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well the Hornets are about to sell. We know how this works in pro sports when new ownership comes in. Sometimes wink, wink, things happen that are in their favor. Um, The only thing that was holding me back from the Hornets being the number one pick was Mark Williams. I'm like, Mark Williams does not give off, walk up and celebrate being the number one pick, a.k.a. the guy that's going to take your job. I I didn't like that aspect of it, but I did buy in. I put my heart out there, and immediately my heart was ripped out yet again. The first time it happened was in 2004, 2005. Um, Or to the 2004 draft with the Mecca Okafor uh, with UConn, who ended up going number two to the then Charlotte Bobcats. Um, Dwight Howard obviously goes first there. 2012, we remember Anthony Davis, all signs point to the Hornets or the Bobcats at the time. We're going to get the pick. The Hornets of New Orleans ended up getting the pick. Michael kidd Gilchrist, the worst number two pick in history, ends up going to the Hornets. And here we are again. The Hornets get the number two pick. There is only one victor, though, as Woj told us. There is only one victor ever. He is the he is one of one. He is one of them one. Some may say he will be him. Um, but now the Hornets have this situation where they get a guy, maybe in Brandon Miller. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a Scoot Henderson pick. But um, all that to say, I'm excited for the Hornets. But it was in our face the entire time that the only way to salvage and save the legacy of Greg Popovich was to get him Victor Wimbenyama. And it turns out that Victor Wimbenyama loves the Spurs. There's pictures coming out now where he's wearing a Tony Parker Spurs jersey. Um, We saw the video afterwards where when the Houston Rockets got the fourth pick, Victor Wimbenyama basically looked at his team and gave like a fist pump. So I'm (laughs) sure Houston fans will love that. Um, which is a nice little Texas rivalry that's building right there. Um, you also got Luka in Texas with Dallas, so you got Wimby in one zone. You got Luka in the other. Obviously, the NBA fans that love these international players, they're going to be going crazy about this. I'm a Luka guy. I'm a Wimby guy. Who will be the best player in three years? Woj said it's going to be Wimby, um, better than everybody in the league. One other word of the draft that I want to point out that I've seen everywhere, and shout out to KOC and Kyle Mann and all the draft nicks out there, twitchy. Have you seen this, Kyle? Yeah, I've seen it. Everybody wants to be twitchy these days. Um, they were talking about Wimbenyama last night.
2: Is that like when you call like booze smooth? And you're like, what do you mean by that? And you're like, well... It's just smooth, man. It's just smooth. Don't, don't ask, worry about it. <laughs> yeah, don't ask
0: any more questions. Don't ask follow-ups. But I feel like the word of the draft is twitchy. Uh, they were talking about the Thompson twins. Uh, and, uh, Richard Jefferson, they were going around the little, you know, the horseshoe of takes, and he used twitchy for those guys. So I think if you're in this draft, you ideally ideally want to be called twitchy, um, which is, I, I guess, a good thing. Um, and I'm excited to see which twitchy athlete goes number two to the Hornets. Um <laughs> I did have one suggestion for this lottery, which I, I thought would be a good one because, again, Detroit wins 17 games and they have the fifth pick. Sorry, Troy. Sorry, Troy. Troy was upset about this. He says it's rigged. I don't even know. I mean, well, we can talk about it, but I, I just I think that's ridiculous. I know that they tried to even out the tanking. They tried to get rid of the processors in this world, but look what OKC's doing. You're not getting rid of the processors, and when you have a team like the Detroit Pistons that just need something. They need that centerpiece. And maybe people would argue it is Cade. Maybe they'd say Ivy and Cade together kind of equal that. But I still think if they were able to get Wimbenyama, they're a great story. I was excited for the Pistons, but now they have the fifth pick. But it got me thinking before 1985, when the ping pongs were introduced and the New York Knicks somehow uh, in this ping pong era got the number one pick and got Patrick Ewing and got a franchise player. Um, good job, David Stern. Thanks for making that happen. There was a time where it was a coin flip. Um, and, you know, you can ask the Jerry Colangelo's of the world about times where the coin flip did them bad. The Phoenix Suns always point to, I think it was 1978 that happened. They lost a the coin flip. They didn't end up getting the guy that they wanted. That would have been a franchise changer. But, you know, the coin flip is smart and the coin flip is fun. And I think when it gets down to the final two, they cut it down to the final four. They go to commercial. I think we get the fourth pick. I think we get the third pick. And then I think when we have the two pick, the one pick and the number two pick, instead of it being a reveal of the number two pick and everyone kind of obviously the the, they can infer that. okay, well, Hornets get number two. The Spurs are number one. It's kind of like in pageants, right? When it's like the first runner-up. It's like, well, can't we just give this moment to the winner? You know what <laughs> I mean, right? It's like the the celebration is almost kind of, you know, it's a little premature at that point. So I think if we get these two teams, the representatives for both, they come out, they walk out, and we do a coin flip, and it's an old-fashioned coin flip. We, we show the coin. Adam Silver says, this side is heads, this side is tails. The team with the better odds that is there, if it's both 14%, um, maybe they play rock, paper, scissors to see who gets the chi- to, to pick heads or tails. And then Adam Silver can flip the coin and then all of a sudden it's slow motion. It's going in the air. It's a very dramatic scene and then it comes back down and then we see... Commercial. no, yeah, no of course. <laughs> Google Pixel... <laughs> YouTube TV, whatever it is. Maybe Simply oh, safe. Um, Yeah, there, there will be a commercial probably as the coin is flipped and we cut the commercial. You're right, Kyle. That's a good point. Everyone
2: gets on Twitter. What the fuck? Yeah, right,
0: right. I'm tweeting. Everyone's going crazy. Um, but I like the coin flip there. And if you're not a fan of the coin flip, because I just feel like that feels more like you're in control of the fate. The ping pong balls feel like a predetermined thing, but with a coin flip, even when we see it before the start of a football game, it just feels like you kind of had a say for whatever reason. And it might be dumb to feel that way, but I like the coin flip at the end. But if you don't like the coin flip, I have a better idea because I believe that ball don't lie. Always. Ball has never lied. Ever. Because sometimes even when a shot goes in that it wasn't a foul, there was some other foul in the back end that made it possible. Whatever. Ball don't lie. Live by that, stay by that, stick with it. Last two people are up. The number one, number two pick. Both your representatives come out. You have a three-point shot and both guys shoot and they shoot until someone misses and it is a ball-don't-lie situation. The guy that makes the shot ends up getting you the number one pick. We all celebrate. We all can say it feels fair because again, ball don't lie. And it also creates this weird situation where wh- whoever you send to be your brand representative, you better hope they can shoot. You better hope you got a shooter out there because if Mark Williams has to go shoot a three, <laughs> right. you're saying, Oh my God, we've made a huge mistake. Or if you're, you know, say you sent, you know, we've seen owners send their kids over the years. I remember Mallory Edens, right. With, with West Edens was sent one year. It's like, you better hope she's got a jumper. <laughs> you know, you might get some TV time, but you better hope if it comes down she's to been it, in the driveway, Yeah, right? you, you better hope that you've been putting up some shots. Um, because at that rate, you got to go out there and you got to deliver, you got to perform. Um, so I like that. I like the coin flip. I like the three point shot. I like the drama, and I also like destiny and fate being in the hands of the people that are there. Because otherwise, why are they there, right? Other than the one camera shot of Brandon Roy, and he's like, "Come on, Portland, let's do this. Let's make it happen." Um, and then we never see them again. They got flown out. They got dressed up for <laughs> right. nothing. But if you think that you have to flip a coin or take a shot. Also, it changes your attire.
2: There was a lot of like nothing expressions too. It's like, you do know, like, I know you're, I know you got the 15th pick and you are expecting to be a little higher or you know, you got like the 12th pick, right. you know, expecting to be a little higher, but like the camera's on you now, like you are going to pick with the 12th pick unless you trade it. Like would it kill you to smile, It's just like, like he's got a 70 on a test and he's like,
0: mm. yeah. And, and they're always looking <laughs> off camera at somebody. Yeah, I feel like they're strange. looking at Woj. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what is going on? <laughs> or looking at Adam Silver.
2: Or whoever's giving them the cue to, like, get off stage or something. It's like, which way am I walking? Like, get me out of here.
0: And also, I mean, shout out to Adam Silver. I, I called him the good guy of the year here as I talked about flopping. He responded by hiring Coach K. But I did feel bad for him. Um, before all the lottery fun happened, interview. <laughs> this man had to go, like, on a 60-minute sit-down. was crazy. It was crazy. And he was getting just grilled. And, you know, obviously the conversation was about John ja Morant. Um, you know, we could all go back and forth about how many games. I saw JJ Redick was going at Stephen A's neck about he. Stephen A said twenty five games. And JJ's like it's sixteen games. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh, aren't those the same thing? I mean, at this point, um, you know, Jaw's already been suspended for eight games. But I just want to shout out Adam Silver because he does. Go and face the music. You know, you can complain about the other stuff about the basketball, and you know I can complain about the flopping and things like that. But he goes and faces it head on, and maybe that's why people love him so much in the media.
2: Completely unfun, right before the lottery
0: fun. Like, why did it
2: have to be then?
0: Yeah, and even like before the before the lottery, too. We talked about Brandon Miller with Woj, and then yet again, Woj, Mister Hyperbole, is going on a whole rant about how great of a guy Brandon Miller is and how teams love him. I'm like, Woj, you can say teams are still considering him at number two number three. You don't have to say he's a great guy and you love his character. But yeah, like you said, Kyle, what happened to fun? I only care about fun. That's right. what sports is supposed to be about at some level, obviously. Have fun out there. Have fun out there. Um, what did Russell Westbrook say to the Lakers locker room? He was like, just go have fun. And LeBron was like, I'm, if I have to I choke this man out, out is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? Uh, that was literally LeBron's reaction <laughs> to that. And But I agree with Russell Westbrook. I think you got to go out there and you got to have some fun. Um, speaking of, I want to just address this a little bit. Uh, last night, I went on the Bill Simmons podcast after the draft lottery. Shout out to the, to the pod father himself. He asked me to come on the show. I was very excited. This is something that used to happen when I was a producer like Kyle is now, where I'm just sitting there and Bill's like, I got to have somebody to riff with. Um, let's just riff on whatever. I thought I was coming on the show, Kyle, for like 10 minutes, and Bill's going to be like, all right, give us what your Hornets take. Did they take Scoot? Did they take Brandon Miller? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think he could take Miller because of Miles Bridges. I like Scoot's game. I think he and LaMelo can coexist and, you know, wrap it up. We're done there. This was a 50-minute podcast. And uh as it kept wearing on and as more fake trades kept coming at me, I uh I I was just lost in the sauce. I, I was having moments where I'm like, what is, what am I even talking shout about? Shout out to
2: Saruti for eating innings there. Right? <laughs> yeah,
0: Sarudi came on with me because I think he could see it in my eyes. Cause I was like, okay, are, are we done with the Hornets segment? I kept, I thought we were like the wrap it up box, but no, we were doing a full podcast. Um, and shout out to BS because it's always fun, it's always a good time. We talked about some great scenarios. I still like the idea of. Steph Curry for Lamelo. Um, <laughs> I know that came out. Of, I don't even know where that came out of. Uh, out of left field, maybe even out of the stadium. You but, just um, reached
2: in that empty bucket, right. and you were I'm, like, I'm well, got what one. does Bill want to hear?
0: <laughs> Steph Curry to Charlotte. Let's let's go ahead and play that one. Let's hit, let's play the hits here." The gaslight was on, it. you're yeah. just like, "We just got to get up this hill, man." I, a- I was uh, I, I didn't even have the draft um, like like picks in front of me, um, so I I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. Shout out to Bill Simmons. Thanks for having me on the show. I will be better. I told Kyle this. It was like you go and you think you're just going to go shoot around in an open gym. But then when you get there, it's like a bunch of guys that play D3, D2, D1 basketball. But they're like in their young, you know, early 30s. And they're like, we're going to run. And you're like, we're going to run. Oh, we're just shooting around here. Um, so I got a full game in. I was huffing and puffing. I was uh, I was trying to gather my thoughts. It, w- it was still a great time, though. And if you haven't listened Go listen under that, guys. Not my fault. Not my fault, yeah. (laughs) This is a a – my favorite ability is deniability, um, and this is plausible deniability. I didn't expect this. Um, I did have fun. Shout-out to Saruti. Saruti, by the way, I mean, this guy, you know, he's just throwing out magic scenarios for me, and I I love the magic. Shout-out to – I got a couple friends that work for the magic. Um, I love Kevin Clark as you know. We got to get him on the podcast. I think Ke- I think Kevin Clark is turning on us, by the way, Um, because he wants to come on the podcast. And the the more that it strings out, the more upset he's getting with me. But Ceruti's throwing out magic trade scenarios, and I'm like,
2: yeah, bring something to the table, Kevin. Come on. Well, I'm,
0: I'm googling the Magic's roster. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I I, I want Johnny Isaac. I'm looking up his contract Gary live. Gary Harris, in the man. I, I look. I know Gary Harris can play on the Warriors. I do know that because I love Gary Harris. Um, stand on that. I, I will stand on that forever. Um. Uh, But again, LaMelo for Curry, that was the big takeaway. Make it happen. Adam Silver, um, if you want something good to happen in Charlotte, that's the only way it does happen. But look, those are my opening lottery thoughts. It was a lot of fun. Um, Again, the draft did not happen. They're already talking to Victor like he is a San Antonio Spur. Of course, it is a foregone conclusion. But what if we have a gas mask video, Kyle? What if something (laughs) comes out where, like, Wimby's just absolutely shit-faced? You know, do, do, do the odds change? He's minus twenty thousand right now. I don't know, but I I don't like how sure it is. And I also want to say this: with all the hyperbole that is happening, again, I'm a USA basketball guy. I I can't be, you know, I I can't just roll You're the red basketball car- nationalist. I know I, I can't just roll <laughs> the red carpet out, Kyle. You got to earn this a little bit. <laughs> if he has a better career than Tim Duncan, I will be shocked. I mean, I not. I mean. Maybe not shocked after all the hyperbole, but like that would be an incredible career. But based on the hyperbole, if he's not the greatest of all time, he's a bust. I mean, that is how he is being three discussed. Years. And if he's not the best player in three years, he's a bust. And I mean, there's some really good players in the NBA. I know I've seen DeMar DeRozan, Pat Bev, all these guys on their podcast, Paul George, talk about how 50% of the league is a bunch of bums. Well... <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I see a lot of talent out there, and I still think that Zion, I don't think we've seen the last of Zion. I think he's going to be a force. I think we haven't seen the last of Giannis, of course. I think Giannis still has another iteration of his career. And when you look at Curry and you look at KD and you look at LeBron, I mean, those guys, they are... They are still rolling, and it is late in the timeline, and usually the timeline ends around this time, but they're they're kind of reminding me of the Federer, you know. Brady's kind of, of the, the world. Right, the Brady's of Goats the world. Goats of the world. Yeah, right, the father time deniers. Um. So anyways, if he's the best player in the league by year three and the Spurs are winning championships, I'll eat all my words, but I do think the hyperbole is not even fair to him. I'm like, Woj, calm it down. My goodness. I mean, poor Victor. He's got to come in and win day one, but shout out to Popovich. This was a masterclass. You were relevant for five years. The NBA is like, what's happening in San Antonio? And then someone in the front office was like, I heard Wimby likes San Antonio. And they're like, oh, really? Big Riverwalk guy. Yeah, really? Does he like San Antonio? Oh, interesting. Turns out he does. He's excited. I'm happy for him. It'll be fun. It's good for Popovich to be back in the conversation. And, uh, You know, like you said, Kyle, Charles Barkley going to be eating churros, walking around the Riverwalk, talking about San Antonio, hopefully in a more flattering way um, than he has in the past. And
3: the Riverwalk is
0: not enough. (laughs) I like the Riverwalk. I will say the 2018 Final Four in San Antonio, great Final Four. Villanova was incredible um in that final four Michigan was a fun run to the final four Swaggy Pool that was the the invention of Swaggy Pool he's turning more into Swaggy P uh, <laughs> as the years wane on which is helping with the nickname which is nice but um yeah shout out to San Antonio happy for them um and now coming up because uh you know we got to talk about college basketball that was enough NBA draft jargon nonsense yeah nonsense whatever you want to call it uh but we got our guy a new Hall of Fame inductee Mr. Tyler Hansbro, um, the most decorated North Carolina player ever. We're going to talk about, um, you know, J.J. Reddick's senior night. We're going to talk about winning the 2009 National Championship. I'm basically going to play the IMDB game that Bill used to play with the celebrities, but I'm going to do it with highlights in his basketball career and just run through them with him. Tyler's a great guy. He has uh, done a live show with us before, so we're big fans, and I appreciate him coming on the show. So now, coming up, Tyler Hansbrough. All right, joining us now is one of my favorite players in college basketball history and the most decorated North Carolina Tar Heel ever. He is about to be inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. He's a 2009 national champion. We can get into all the accolades later, but of course, his name is Tyler Hansbro. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show, man.
3: Hey, Tate, glad to be here, man. Uh, Thank you, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I got to ask because I I saw the headline. It was Tyler Hansbro is going to be in this hall of fame class. And obviously you get all the flashbacks. That was a very pivotal time in my life. But just for you, when you get that phone call and you kind of get told that you're going to be in the hall of fame, obviously you're still a young guy. How did that feel to get this honor so early in your life?
3: Yeah, well, uh, it was kind of funny because the first thing, uh, that popped in my mind was, man, I'm kind of getting old. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, no, I was extremely excited. Um, you know, it's as a, somebody who grew up in a small town, Poplar Bluff, Missouri, and, uh, watching college basketball my whole life. I remember when my dad would take me and my brothers to watch the Mizzou and Illinois rivalry in St. Louis, which is about a three hour drive from Poplar Bluff and, you know to me that was so big and then uh when carolina started recruiting me it was almost like it was almost too big of a you know it's carolina was one of those programs that you just like kind of dream about playing at and yeah. when they started recruiting me and uh what i accomplished and then i get the phone call to get into the hall of fame it was uh it it, it was amazing but also uh as I said, somebody who grew up in a small town in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, this is a reflection of a lot of coaches, a lot of teammates, and a lot of people in the community who have helped me throughout the years. Uh, so I know my name will be attached uh, to the Hall of Fame, but also it represents a lot of other people in my life uh, that have helped me.
0: Yeah, I want to talk. I'm a small town guy myself. When you come from a small town, like everybody knows everybody. Everybody, you know, has an opinion on what you're doing, telling you what you should be doing. You mentioned being from, you know, Missouri and going to the Illinois-Missouri rivalry games as a kid. You ended up going to play for North Carolina, obviously. How hard was that in the recruitment process to decide to go play for North Carolina, to go out of state? Because like I said, when you're in a small town, everybody wants you to go go play for the state school, right? (laughs)
3: Well, I grew up a huge uh Mizzou fan. Uh mm. I had a lot of family members go to Mizzou, but Mizzou wasn't in the best situation. Uh Quinn Snyder's a hell of a coach right now, but uh there was a lot of controversy and rumors going around Mizzou that uh you know it, it wasn't all that appealing. And I think he was a good recruiter. Uh but there was started uh, the program started to get in a little bit of trouble and so it opened up the doors and Obviously, I built a relationship with Coach Williams and also assistant coach Joe Holiday, who I was very close with. And uh, both of them played a huge role. Uh, and they're the reasons why I went to uh, Carolina, because of that relationship and how hard they recruited me. Also, Billy Donovan really recruited me hard from Florida. So it, looking back, that might have been my, my second choice. Uh, but uh, I couldn't have made a better decision looking back on my recruitment and how things turned out.
0: Yeah, when people talk about Roy Williams and we'll get into I wanted to ask you about his retirement and things like that a little bit later, but first just the recruitment aspect. Um, you know, Coach Williams is one of those guys where we all know the story about him recruiting Michael Jordan. I think um, you know one of the most fascinating stories I ever heard about that was that Michael's dad actually uh, built a stove, a wood stove, um, for Coach Williams that that he took and put it in his house, and it was a Jordan stove, which is uh, you know I think that's one of one. Um, but he you know was known for being a recruiter. He is known for you know creating those relationships, having those relationships. What was it like specifically for you when you first met? coach Williams and how did that all kind of play out where you fell in love with him and Carolina
3: man coach Williams he was just he was a very honest person It felt genuine and I'm not saying other coaches weren't honest or genuine but there was a side that I felt like I could relate to somebody who worked really hard and somebody who uh, you could see there wasn't any you know big entourage uh, he he would come to watch my games with his uh, wife Wanda and to me that was you know, that was that was something that, you know, from a a guy who's a, I consider myself a family person. That was that was really cool to see. But also this is kind of corny looking back and uh, looking back on my recruitment is he would send me these note cards and he would send them to me quite often. And it got to a point where I was like, man, I wonder if somebody else is writing these notes for uh, Coach Williams and he's just signing them or sending them to me or whatever. And if anybody knows Coach Williams, he has like perfect cursive handwriting. I mean, it's right. it's on point. And uh, I knew right then he'd been he'd been writing me all those cards, the thought of the day, all that stuff. And we used to take some of those note cards, and uh, you know, we'd put them on the refrigerator every once in a while because you know they, they were the thought of the day. If you've ever been to Carolina practice, you have the offensive thought, the defensive thought, and then you have thought of the day. And there are all these different sayings that Coach Williams likes and a uh, little bit of motiva- motivating as well. And so we used to put that on the refrigerator because I, I really liked him. And uh, he, I mean, he he worked hard and uh, I really respected that, but also the genuineness and building a relationship and talking with him and also Coach Holiday, uh, who's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. We had a great relationship. He was always calling and checking on me. And he had a great sense of humor and uh, he could make me laugh. And so I really liked that. And, um, you know, that, that's how it worked out.
0: Yeah, and Coach Smith was famous for the thought of the day. If you talk to players from the 80s or the 90s, you know they'll still remember the sayings that they were yelling out in practice randomly. You know what I mean? That's just kind of like a thing that was trickling down um, in the world of Carolina basketball. I do want to flip back to the Hall of Fame because I kind of buried the lead a little bit because when you look at this induction class and you look at the headlines, all the headlines, they lead with this, Tyler, which as a Carolina guy, I get a little upset, but they say, Mike Krzyzewski headlines the 2023 Hall of Fame class. And I would like them to flip that and say, Tyler Han- Hansbro, the greatest player of the 21st century, headlines the class. Um, you know, how funny is that or how ironic or how whatever to have Coach K in the same Hall of Fame class as you?
3: Uh, man, I hope they can fit me in. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, hey, it is funny. I know there's been a lot of jokes, and I've, I've gone back and forth with it, and I think they're funny. Uh, but in all honesty... And putting jokes aside, I mean, he's from Chicago, uh, I think. But uh, yes, yeah, he's from Chicago, so he's local. But you know, I do expect him to have a huge following, and it is kind of different from a player's aspect and a coach's aspect getting into the Hall of Fame, because I do think that uh, coaches may impact a lot more, uh, you know, people than you know maybe players do from a from a sense of like you know, building character and having a huge influence on somebody's life. But uh, in all honesty, you know, I do like the fact that I'm going in there with K and what he's done for uh, Duke and how he's built that program. And I, I'm not a big fan of, you know, blowing up K too much because there is a part of me that still has that North Carolina ego. And I played at Carolina, but the, the the rivalry would never be where it is if it wasn't for Coach K. And he's had a huge impact on college basketball. And uh, there's been a lot of games um, and, you know, a lot of players that I like to watch that went to Duke. And, um, you know, I, in a weird way, yeah, I do like that I'm going in with K. And, uh, you know, it's an honor.
0: Yeah, you got a great class if you just look at it. I mean, you talk about the legends. You got Johnny Dawkins, who is one of the players that helped transform that Duke program. Like you said, got him to the pedigree where we can have the conversation about Duke and North Carolina and that rivalry at that level. You got longtime Thomas Jefferson, university coach Herb McGee, who people love. And then you got Tom Konchowski, who's a five star legend uh, who had the HSBI, right? He's one of those scouts, one of the originators um, in that business and made it a big thing. So you're going in with some legendary figures in the game of basketball and you're going to be doing it in chicago i know there's going to be a lot of people in that building the the powers that be the jerry colangelo's of the world right there's going to be a lot of people that you've seen along your basketball journey is there any are you going to bring your family will ben Will 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 everybody be there for the induction
3: yeah i hope so uh i'm gonna have a lot of good teammates you know Uh, bobby frazier's local too so yeah uh, hopefully he can make some time come on out uh Yeah, I'm going to have all my close uh, friends and family. I've already told everybody, hey, uh, come on. uh, Come on over to Chicago. Uh, I'll try and get you guys some tickets. I know Kay's getting inducted, too, so hopefully they'll leave us some. Uh, And uh, I'm going to have a lot of teammates and hopefully a lot of coaches and a lot of people in my life there. It's going to be a big-time night, and there's a lot of great people going in.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be great, and I will say this. I'll say it on the record. And I told Bobby Fraser this uh, when he was at our live show a, a few years back. But whenever people get confused about me in the Carolina, you know, world, I try to tell them that uh, if they just think I'm Bobby Fraser, that's a win. You know what I mean? A national champion, uh, a guy who did a lot of things, a lot of accomplishments there. And Bobby said he was okay with that, so he would let that slide. So, uh, you know, sometimes the Fraser's got to stick together out here, Tyler. So I make that I make that happen as much as possible. Uh, you mentioned coaching. Um, earlier, and this is something I wanted to get in with you because I I feel like this is a big conversation at the NBA level and at the college level. We'll start at the college level. When you were playing, like you said, it was all about the coaches, right? If we have a promo for any tournament, like a Maui Invitational, for example, it's, you know, Roy Williams, Coach K, Bill Self, right? This is the way that it's built. Jay Wright. It's all about the coaches And now as NIL and things are kind of to shift, it feels like it's more player first as we see in the NBA. But how important are the coaches in college? And then we'll get into the NBA side and how that changes from your opinion.
3: You know, I think it's a huge deal. And that is an interesting aspect that you brought up because, uh, you know, in some way I talked about this on my podcast is the one thing I don't like about the NIL is I don't feel like coaches can really uh, push guys or, get on guys like they used to. And mm. I think a lot of young guys need that criticism. They need to go through those tough practices and they need to go run a lot. They need to uh, know when they make mistakes. And I don't like the thought that coaches are nervous about getting on players and trying to teach them things uh, because they're going to get upset. The players might get upset and then just hit the portal. That's the one thing I don't like about the portal is it gives uh, people an excuse and you know they're not – to me, if you bring the same mindset to a different program and have the same results, how many times are you going to hit the portal before you look in the mirror and understand, Hey, I'm not doing things right. I need to change. It's not all these coaches. And, you know, if it wasn't for coach Williams pushing me, uh, you know, the, the 33s a conditioning test. That wasn't all that appealing. That was, that was a beast. And looking back, I mean, those things made us better. And, you know, I, I just, the one thing I don't, well, there's, there's a lot of things, but I don't like the aspect of NIL that coaches aren't as tough as they used to be uh, because they're, they're scared about kids leaving. And I, I do think that a lot of these coaches, like, could you imagine, uh, you know, if Bobby Knight was coaching uh, NIL? I was thinking about the other day, would, would his style kind of go over today? Uh, he's a great coach. There's a lot of great coaches out there that, you know, I was thinking about, you know, what, what would NIL do? How would they impact this coach? Uh, but to me, the great ones always kind of adapt and I can't stress how, how important it is for a young player, uh, to have a great coach and somebody who's experienced somebody who also, uh, you know, will push them to be a better person and player. I think that's super important, especially in college.
0: Yeah, and in college, we obviously have these names, like I mentioned before, and you always see kind of these rumors that happen in the offseason with the NBA, right? I remember 2004, there was a big kind of hoopla about, you know, the Lakers were looking to hire potentially Mike Krzyzewski. And, you know, I remember Roy one time had an interview with an NBA franchise, right? And then Jay Wright, he's kind of meddled in that territory. Rick Pitino goes to the Celtics, right? And then comes back to college basketball. We've seen coaches in college make that jump to the NBA, but now it feels like almost two different sports. And when you talk about the coaches that are in college and the coaches that are in the NBA, how different and, and, and is it even likely now that we'll see guys make that jump? It used to be something that was possible, but it feels now like it's a totally different game.
3: It's totally different, and the, if I look across the college uh, basketball landscape and look at the coaches, the only coach who I think would probably leave for them may maybe Calipari. Uh, mm-hmm. When I look at it, because uh, he, he, you know, he, it just seems like he might be more of a NBA, uh, you know, type of coach. But th- the game is so different at the NBA level, and also, you know, I would speculate maybe that might be just a little bit of a recruiting tactic. Uh, You know, if you get buzz around a college coach, uh, you know, not taking the Lakers job uh, and staying at, let's just say, one of these big time programs, there's something to be said about that. From the outside, it looks like, man, this guy is loyal. Uh, We know he's not going anywhere. Uh, They just offered him a huge deal. But in reality, the NBA game is so different. You look at the turnover in these coaches just, you know, just this offseason. They fired Doc Rivers. They fired Nick Nurse. uh, Monty Williams is out now. Uh, you know, Budenholzer at uh, Milwaukee's out. You know these coaches in the NBA they don't they don't stay at programs long, and that's the other thing I'm starting to realize in college. They're starting to have some turnover, kind of like the NBA. Uh, but it it takes a while to turn over a college basketball program. If you go from a, if you take a program uh, that's not doing well and you walk in there with a good coach, I don't care who it is, the Tino. Patino's going to have success pretty, not everyone's Rick Patino, but you take right. a coach and it's going to take them a while to turn over a program. At the NBA, you're expected, you know, if you, you're the next 76ers coach, you're expected to go and win a, maybe a title next year. Uh, you know, so it's, it's just a totally different aspect and it's more business at the NBA level. Yeah, and you
0: mentioned uh, the 76ers job, and I have to mention a guy who is now the favorite to get that job, and he's a guy that you played against in college. We'll talk about his senior night a little bit because that's one of my favorite memories, but J.J. Redick is the favorite right now to be the 76ers head coach. I'm not sure he's going to take that job. He's got a really popular podcast, got a you know a nice spot at ESPN right now, but how, how much does that kind of exemplify what we're talking about that – we're in a world where you know you—they're just going to bring in someone like JJ Reddick because he probably handles the personalities of the players better than say a coach that's been coaching for twenty, thirty years, something like that.
3: Well, yeah, that is a good aspect, and also there's a little bit of of me who who thinks maybe that some of these GMs, uh, if they get a young guy, they don't have to pay him a lot, and they can have more uh, pull or more say. Uh, you know, if you bring in pull or say what the GM wants the coach to do. So I think the GM, it gives them more power if they have an inexperienced coach or a young guy because they feel like they can influence them. If you bring in a coach uh, like Mike D'Antoni and you have a GM, do you think he's going to listen to the GM? No. He's had experience. He knows what how to win, what to win. There's not going to be a lot of influence I think the GM's going to have on a veteran coach who's had a lot of success. So I think there's an aspect uh, to having a young coach that a lot of people don't think about. But I listen to JJ. I think JJ has a lot of good thoughts and, you know, takes. And it would be interesting to me to see how that would translate and how receptive uh, those players would be because uh, you've got to have a lot of respect to kind of, you know, get the attention or really push an MVP. And also James Harden, who's a vet. I mean, you're going to have to, you know, they're going to have a lot of respect for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we saw Steve Nash do it in Brooklyn. I mean, Jason Kidd, right? He came right off from playing to be the coach in Brooklyn. Uh, we've seen it before where you can go and just immediately be a young guy and get thrown into the fire a little bit. But it is a lot to ask. I wanted to ask you about a coach that you had who dealt with this coaching carousel. He wins a championship in 2020 in the bubble, Frank Vogel. He was an interim for you. Comes in, he starts playing you more minutes. Um, that was kind of one of the best years of your career with Vogel. What was it like just from the outside looking in to see him go from being an NBA champion with LeBron and AD to now you know we're we're all wondering will Frank Vogel get another job in the NBA
3: I played for Jim O'Brien and and uh then we had uh Frank Vogel which personality wise that was a 180 I mean Jim O'Brien man you got to have some thick skin and you got to be tough to play for him and <laughs> right. uh you know a lot of those NBA coaches they also have tactics they wear their welcome out really fast and I think there's a turnover from that aspect uh, you know, not a lot of GMs or management can deal with some of those coaches uh, for a long period of time. They wear their welcome. Uh, but Vogel, I mean, he is he is a positive coach. He gives his players a ton of confidence, a ton of freedom. And he is a hard worker, too. I mean, he um, he really changed our mindset when I was with Indiana. Uh, he came in and and you saw it right away. I mean, O'Brien wasn't playing Paul George. Paul George was sitting on the bench and then Vogel went from literally working us out individually to being the head coach. And then, you know, they fired O'Brien, I think, uh, you know, it was right around the all-star, I don't know, maybe the all-star break or something, whatever,
0: somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And then he comes in, he's like, you're starting blah, 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 changes everything, changes our mentality. And, uh, we are fired up and, uh, we kind of built momentum off of that. We had a pretty good team back. Looking back, we had, uh, Paul George, Roy Hibbert, Lance Stevenson, David West was an underrated uh, power forward. I mean, he was, if you watch our games, he was kind of the go-to guy, even though Paul George was really making a name for himself and kind of broke out in that time. uh, David West was a more experienced vet. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, he gave a lot of people or a lot of players confidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to run through just some of the highlights in your your career because you have a very fascinating and decorated career. As I said, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about North Carolina, they talk about the best player. And, you know, we all go to Michael Jordan. Everyone says Michael Jordan. But when you look at the accolades of what you did in college, you had a better career than Michael Jordan. Obviously, you're there for four years, but, you know, you're a four-team first team All-American. That doesn't happen often. You're the uh, ACC all-time leading scorer. You break J.J. Reddick's record. Um, that doesn't happen often. Uh, you had the rebounding record until Armando Baycott, who's currently on the UNC UNC team, broke your record this year. That was great. You were at the game and kind of passed the torch to him. That was cool to see. But I wanted to start your freshman year because this is the game where I think um, fans of the sport of college basketball, got you got their attention. They're like, North Carolina comes off a national championship in 2005. Those guys all go to the NBA: Shawn May, Raymond Felton, Rashad McCants, that whole crew. Jawad Williams, you come in as a freshman yourself, Bobby Frazier, Right, um, I remember the David Noel dunk at Kentucky in Lexington—that baseline dunk. My dad was at that game. One of those like TV moments that kind of get you. But then you go into Cameron Indoor. You got the landlord, Sheldon Williams. You got JJ Redick senior night. JJ Redick is you know the 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 bell of the ball in college basketball, and I just remember you hit a three at the top. Of the key as a freshman, and you're a big guy. And I was like, wow, that's something different right there. What do you remember from that night, and how much fun was that as a freshman to be a part of?
3: That was probably my favorite win at Carolina. And, uh, you know, winning the championship in Detroit was that was special, but that was, you know, that was a different win for a lot of different reasons. But if I were to pick one win that I really enjoyed, it was our freshman year at Cameron. Uh, <laughs> that whole year, you know, we had a tough squad and we had a lot of guys, uh, who fought and we had a lot of grinders, Wes Miller, uh, Frazier, you know, we had a lot of players, Ginyard, uh, but, uh, we weren't really expected to do much, uh, that mm-hmm. year. A lot of people didn't even think we'd make the tournament. And so we kind of had a chip on our shoulder. And, and if you remember how good Duke was, JJ Reddick, I mean, he lit us up in the Dean Dome, I think for 38, uh, the we so t- prior uh, to the first Duke game in the Smith Center, he lit us up for 38. And so, uh, we had some you know, we were ready to go when we went to Cameron, and just getting that win, uh, because of that mentality and what a lot of people thought we were expected to do and go and beat the top dogs who a lot of people predicted to win that year, especially arguably the best player in college basketball, JJ Sheldon, was up there. To go get that dub in Cameron, that was huge for us. Gave us a ton of confidence. And it was also big for, you know, us freshmen. It was first time playing in Cameron. It was a really cool experience. And uh, I remember the top of the key three because I think Frazier might have passed it to me. And I remember yeah. him clapping, trying to get it back. And uh, I remember as soon as he's going to pass it to me, I was like, I'm going to let this thing fly. And uh, because I knew Sheldon wasn't really expecting it. Uh, and, uh, sure enough, luckily it went in, but, uh, th- that was a great shot. Great win for, uh, for us, my favorite win. And then getting into the locker room celebrating, and then obviously going, rushing back to Chapel Hill, uh, to party with all your, you know, classmates and, uh, you know, gro- going through the bars and, you know, high five in everybody and watching everybody doing stupid things. Uh, that was special.
0: Did uh, JJ or Sheldon or Kay or Cameron Crazy say anything to you during that game where you were just like, this is uh, welcome to the rivalry moment almost?
3: (laughs) No, there was no smack talking. I mean, it was pretty quiet. I would have heard him. So, uh, no, there wasn't a lot said there.
0: Yeah, and then you go 4-0, and I think you are the kryptonite to the Cameron crazies. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they um, were just thrown off by you, but you never lost in Cameron Indoor. Um, Does that mean something to you? I know it gets thrown out a bunch when we talk about the rivalry, but that was was a pretty
3: impressive feat in general. I love it, and uh, (laughs) it... uh... Man, that's special. And, you know, I just love that stat because I can talk a lot of trash to some dookies. Uh, But, you know, in all honesty, we we had better teams, except for that freshman year. They might have been more talented, but we had more talent. I mean, we had we had uh, players on our team. So we, we, we kind of went in there uh, expecting uh, – obviously we went in there expecting to win every single time, but I think we had the more talented team about every year in the rivalry uh, when I was playing. So – yeah that that was definitely special.
0: Yeah, one of the uh, what-if sliding doors moments. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be with Bill during the Kevin Durant Warriors times. We were doing podcasts with him, and I went to one of his houses, and he is playing 2K, or he's playing like NCAA-modified 2K, but he was playing with North Carolina. And, of course, that got my attention, and I asked him about it, and he talked about his recruitment, um, you know, to North Carolina, how much interest he had in North Carolina. North Carolina ends up getting Brandon Wright, and Brandon Wright was amazing, a one-and-done guy for the Tar Heels. But how much do you remember like that time where that class was kind of being constructed when you talk about ty lawson and wayne ellington and brandon Wright, um and how much do you keep an eye on that when you're actually on the team and getting prepared for the next year coming off such a great freshman year
3: when you play at carolina you expect every year to be like hey we we expect to have one of the top recruiting classes in the country you know duke carolina kentucky all these kansas all these top programs they should have one of the best recruiting classes every year because they're are, they're the best programs in college basketball. Uh, so I I expected us to have some talent coming in, but I didn't I didn't know how talented, you know, like Ty Lawson. Ty Lawson was a hell of a player, and he had a huge impact. But it wasn't like when you add somebody like that to the team, it isn't just like a snap, we all get better. There is a little bit of, uh, you know, working through some things and uh, getting to know each other, getting a feel for the game. Uh, and Wayne, I mean, lighting it up. It, it, there it took a while, but once we got it going, once we started playing in the summer, playing pickup, everybody got into a rhythm, and also uh Ty Lawson really grew uh, his time at carolina he he came in there wasn't the most disciplined guy and he he started working out really hard, putting in extra work, showing up on time, uh, showing up early and so I could see that change and I could see that it meant a lot to ty and so when he bought in uh you know, that that team to me became one of the most talented teams in college basketball. And I know, you know, it, it may have taken a year or two, but uh, those guys were huge. And I know B Wright was only uh, one year and done, but he had a huge impact, pretty much won us the ACC championship tournament. I think it was in, Jackson, Tampa. Yeah, in Tampa. Yeah, in Tampa. He was the MVP. I mean, he had a big influence. Uh, But we just kept working in that all summer. And then we just kept getting a little bit better every single year. Uh, Then we lost to Kansas uh, in San Antonio. And then kind of when everybody said they're coming back, uh, you know, I felt like, hey, we're going to put the work in. We're going to be motivated from that loss. And I just knew we'd win the championship the next year. I, I felt like I knew it.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, because we're going to talk about the highlights, obviously, but one of the lowlights was in that Final Four in 2008. You're the National Player of the Year. You win... ACC player of the year. I mean, you're just dominating at that point. Mm -hmm. And then you guys go up against, you know, Coach Williams, old team that he left to come to North Carolina. We all kind of know the story uh, with Kansas and Carolina and that connection between the two programs. But you guys kind of go up against a team. And with Darrell Arthur, uh, with Cole Aldridge, it was just like you look at the bigs there. it It was a matchup to say the least. What do you remember from that game? And then what did you learn that led you to such a dominant 2009 run in the tournament?
3: Yeah, so I remember um, I felt like we might have been a little content uh, to get to the Final Four, and also I felt like our mentality was, like, hey, we're just going to win it because we're better. Uh, and we walked out there, and we got uh, we got smacked. And the only thing that I can compare it to is we took a haymaker and we never really recovered. Uh, and we, we got close. I think DG had a shot at the top of the key to kind of tie it or maybe take the lead, whatever. But by that point, we were just exhausted. We had put our we had dug a hole so big that we just couldn't get out of it. And uh, you know, we ran out of energy. Um, even if we were a better team, they came out and had a better game. Bill Selsa, he's a hell of a coach. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was a tough loss. And the reason I say that is because Coach Williams came from Kansas, and there was a lot of things said, and there's a lot of emotions involved. And we wanted to win uh, for him, uh, but. Uh, that's not the way it worked out, and I felt like that loss really gave us a mindset for the next year uh, because the next year we weren't just happy to get to the Final Four. We wanted to win the thing. We didn't just, you know, we had that mindset, okay, you know, kind of we got to win this thing. We're not just going to be happy getting to the Final Four, uh, and I really felt like guys worked harder in the offseason, and uh, we know it was tough on Coach to lose to Kansas, uh, so we took that. Uh, Next year, and when we did get to the final four, you know we're we're a little more focused in uh o nine,
0: yeah, and in o eight o nine, you guys all come back like you said, the whole core you know, and shout out to Dion Thompson, I feel like we don't talk about Dion enough, he was so impactful on that team because it felt like every start of a game it was a a, a feed and entry pass into Dion, and he would hit that little turnaround jumper mm-hmm. and then every single team would then have to respect him and then that would open up everything for you. Um, I, I just always thought that was like a nice like little Roy Williams touch um, and Dion delivered every single time. But you guys had some road bumps that year despite the dominance. The one that I wanted to point out that I know you have to remember the Tyrese Rice game. 46 points. I was at that game. Um, what was that like witnessing that? That was the most points ever scored on North Carolina until Malik Monk had 47 in 2017. <laughs> but what what was that like witnessing Is you're the number one team in the
3: country, you're dominating wow, that, everybody, then one guy wins the game by himself? Uh, what's a video game where the guy, I mean, it's an old school where the ball's on fire and everywhere you shoot it.
0: NBA Jam, yeah.
3: Yeah, NBA Jam. It's like something like that. And uh, it, I mean, Tyrese Rice was a hell of a player. And also I played against him in China. And, uh, I mean, he was talented. I mean, he got hot and, uh, we were, you know, the number one team in the country or, you know, picked to picked to win it all. So we, he was motivated and he just got too, he got too hot and, um, we couldn't cool him down. Uh, as the game went on, it just seemed like everything he threw up, it was going in. And, uh, <laughs> I remember looking at the bench and I remember, That loss. And I I remember looking at Coach Williams and I was like, oh, man, he's been next practice going to be tough. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you know, guys like that can get hot. But Tyrese Rice, he was he was a talent and he lit us up. He let us have it.
0: Yeah, and then the next game, you guys go and play at Wake Forest. Wake Forest with Jeff Teague, James Johnson. Um, You guys start, I think that's one of my favorite trivia facts about that 9 team, that you start ACC Conference play 0-2, because Wake Forest at that time ended up being the number one team in the country after they beat you guys. And talk about the resolve coming out of that game and then what you saw from Wake Forest and that team, because as we look back at Aminu and James Johnson and Jeff Teague, I mean, they had
3: NBA players across the board on their team. I mean, it was a pretty talented team Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny because this year or I'm not sure the year prior, I was trying to use it as motivation because, hey, in 09, we started out 0-2, we won the whole thing. Uh, Didn't really turn out this this year, but uh, no, I mean, we use that as motivation and if you look at the games prior going into uh, conference play, we just blasted everybody and so we might have got a little content. And then when we hit ACC play, those teams were ready to go, scouted us, and just smacked us. And, uh, you know, it was probably a good thing because it uh, made us go look at film, see what we weren't doing right, uh, made us have tough practices, and then uh, we turned it around.
0: Yeah, and then you get to the NCAA tournament. Ty Lawson's kind of dealing with an injury early on, but then he comes back. You guys dominate. I think the closest game ended up being 12 points, I think, against LSU, something like that. And then you get to the national championship game. We have the whole, you know, crisis with, you know, um, you know, Detroit is all going under, and you have Michigan State and Tom Izzo, and it felt like America expected kind of almost like a Rudy moment or a miracle moment where Michigan State's going to come out. They're going to beat you guys, and it's one of my favorite pictures that it, that gets circulated on Twitter and on the social media apps, but it's the Michigan State team, and they're looking at you as if you were Bigfoot, um, and that was going into the national championship game. Do you remember that game? Do you remember that practice? Do you remember
3: that moment? Because it's so funny. I remember that picture and I have no idea where that was taken. I don't know what I was doing. Actually, I think I was lost. And, uh, (laughs) I remember I took the, I took a corner. I was like, Oh, I know I'm not going the right way. So I just turned, uh, but, uh, no, I have no idea the story behind that picture. Uh, but I do know the picture you're talking about and, uh, I do remember the mentality around the national championship game because it was in Detroit, the economy was bad, car industry was going down and, you know, they had everything going for them. Uh, but we smacked them, uh, you know, previously, uh, in that year, we, we smacked them early on, I think we might have smacked them in Detroit, I'm not really sure. But uh, we came out, we, we let a haymaker on them. And I knew from the get, we were gonna win that one.
0: Yeah. Then you end up winning the national championship by 17 points at that point. Did you feel like it was the the full culmination of everything you could accomplish? You were a senior, um, you win a national championship on the way out. I mean, it was almost storybook Did it, did it hit yeah. you in the moment? And does it hit you now as you get inducted into the hall of fame? Um,
3: uh, I'm not sure it really has hit me. Um, because every year I expected to win a national championship and, uh, you know, I was disappointed at the end, and so when we finally won it my senior year, it was a different feeling. It was more honestly relief. I put my, so much pressure on myself, I felt relieved uh because I knew there wasn't going to be a next year, and it was my senior year it was in a way it's kind of laugh, but it is a perfect way to go out uh but uh it was a relief, and i I do feel like Coach Williams pushed that team harder. Uh, my senior year than any year I was at Carolina because he felt you know I think that he felt like hey this team should win it and we are talented to win it. I'm gonna do everything I can to put these guys in position to win and I could feel that in practice and uh, he was I would say he got on me more my senior year than he did any other year and so uh, after we won in Detroit I had uh, you know pretty much everybody close in my life at the game and so uh, I remember walking off the court. I was just relieved, and I kind of put a lot of pressure on myself to just live up to those goals and the expectations that I put on myself. It was just a big sigh of relief.
0: Yeah, and the crazy part about you know that Final Four is that Wayne Ellington is the most outstanding player, even though you had yourself and Ty Lawson, who were the co-ACC players of the year, right? I mean, that just yeah. kind of shows how deep that team was, and you had Danny Green, which gets me to the 2009 draft, which was – Um, you know, a crazy draft. The Timberwolves had four first round picks. They drafted three point guards. Then they drafted Wayne Ellington, another one of your teammates. You get drafted 13th right after the Charlotte Bobcats had the 12th pick and they took Gerald Henderson right before you. Um, what did, uh, what do you remember from the Oh nine draft and how fun was it to have your teammates all kind of be there for that moment?
3: Yeah, it was really cool. I remember Frazier was there, uh, a couple managers and, you know, I had everyone, I had my parents, my older brother, uh, yeah, it was a special moment for me, um, to get picked. And also it was it was really cool because Larry Bird picked me, a uh, small mm-hmm. town uh, you know, basketball legend. And so uh from that aspect, you know, I remember hugging my, my family. Uh, Coach Williams was there hugging him and man, I had put so much work into that draft process and I I saw my name from anywhere from like, you know, late first round to early lottery, and I felt like we had you know, the the draft workouts, I'd put myself in good position to get drafted right around the mid first round, maybe in the teens. Uh, and then I had an unbelievable workout actually for New Jersey. New Jersey had me in for two workouts, and I thought there's a chance I might go there. They took Terrence Williams. Uh, and <laughs> I actually worked out for them a couple of days before the draft, which is uh, kind of rare. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was excited being – at Indiana, you know, I'm, I'm a Midwest guy from Missouri. So, uh, kind of close, but not really. Uh, so it was really cool. And I was happy to be going to Indiana.
0: Yeah. Do you have a Larry Bird story? Because I know, like you said, it was bird, the one that called you and told you you were getting picked.
3: No, I don't think bird called me. I saw him uh, the next day when I flew to Indiana. Uh, I, I do. One of my favorite bird stories is, uh, when he was a GM for the Pacers, he never missed a home practice. He was at every home practice when I was on the team. And one day he came into the locker room. He said, the, only, the reason I come to these practices, I want you guys to know that I'm working. And I'm here every single day and I see what you guys are doing. I don't want you ever to ever think that I'm not working. And that's one of my favorite stories uh, because I never saw that from any other GM. And uh, I, I really respected that because I could relate. Mm.
0: Yeah. I love Larry Bird. We all love Larry Bird here at the Ringer. And if you don't, I don't think you can work here. So I think that's just one of the rules. Um, One last thing before I let you go, because I have to ask this. I didn't want to get into it from the start because, look, people get upset. We're both North Carolina guys. We don't want to fall too much over North Carolina. But 2022 in New Orleans, Final Four, the first time North Carolina and Duke meet in the Final Four. It's Coach K's last game. It's a part of his whole year-long Nike farewell tour. North Carolina had beaten them in Durham. They avoided them in the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech upsets North Carolina. And then we have this showdown. It felt like... David Goliath or whatever kind of you know it just felt biblical. Um, it was uh-huh. at such a, a extreme level. What was it like to experience that? I was in the building as well. I've never I've never felt so much energy in a building for a game.
3: It was euphoric, and uh, I, I just I mean you couldn't have built a better circumstances around that whole thing. And as a Carolina fan, you couldn't have you know built a a better ending to his career. But uh, I remember I just. I remember when we smacked him in Cameron, and I thought that was special because Kay was leaving Cameron, his last game he'll ever coach, uh, at Duke on an L. And so I I was like, hey, we got a a lot of bragging rights there. We can talk a lot of smack with that. Uh, I'm not sure we can top it. And then somehow we meet him in the Final Four. I don't know how it happened. Uh, it is amazing. And the first time we ever play him in the tournament, we smack him. Uh, I celebrated <laughs> hard. And I felt like I just won a national championship. I probably celebrated hard, harder after we beat Duke at the Final Four in New Orleans than I did in Detroit. Uh, I just I love that. And I was happy for uh, Coach Davis as well his first year. Uh, what a special year. Uh, but uh, that was a great win for the Tar Heels. That's, that's one of my all-time favorite dubs.
0: Yeah, it was the best because like people just kept hanging out in the building. Like Nobody wanted to leave. Obviously, the Duke fans are already gone. Coach K is on the back of his golf cart. But the rest of us, we were all celebrating and going crazy. And I did want to point out Ryan Kelly, a Duke guy, did come up to me in the concourse and congratulated. Him. And in that moment right there, it kind of felt like – you know, we we like you said, we we kind of have to you know joke about it and rib each other and and go at each other because that's the expectation of this rivalry. But it is like Duke's kind of our asshole. You know, they're our stiffler, and it's like we get to make the jokes. You don't get to make the jokes. The rest of you. So um, it was special to have like our kind of local rivalry on this national stage where everyone could enjoy it. Jim Nance could be a part of it and uh, I don't know if I'll ever top that feeling uh, when it comes to sports because I've never hugged that many strangers in my life, Tyler.
3: (laughs) There was high fives going around everywhere. It was amazing (laughs) and the funny thing is Is because Duke was so excited to play us. They felt like they were just going to destroy us. They they felt like they were more talented. They're like, hey, you guys don't want to see us again. Kind of that attitude. Yeah. You know, we're just, all right, we'll see what happens. And then (laughs) boom,
0: it was great. It was perfect because as I was walking to the arena, some Duke fan yelled at me, "Uh, hey, can Armando Baycott read? Um, and I was walking there and when he said that, I was like, that was probably the worst karma play in history, especially when you think about the history of the J.R. Reed comments and coach Smith and all that sort of stuff. And then when I went into the building, I almost had a piece about me. Of course, I had my mom, my brother, two North Carolina alums there with me. So that helped a little bit, but, uh, a great moment in time. Um, Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for sharing some of your stories. Again, the podcast is Sleep Hawk Worldwide. Anything else you want to plug before we let you get out of here?
3: That's it. I appreciate it, Tate. Glad to come on here with you.
0: Yeah, man. We'll have you back again. He is Tyler Hansbro, getting in the Hall of Fame August 30th in Chicago alongside some legends there. And uh, we will have him back here on One Shining Podcast. Thanks again, Tyler.
3: Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. see website for details
0: all right there you have it tyler hands bro um he's always fun and he's got his podcast now so i feel like he's got like his his media training in he's locked in and if you're espn or you're fox sports or any of these other you know high profile nba tv whatever it is we need more tar heels out there in the media space so tyler hands bro get him in the game put him in the game Let's get the shout outs because I have my first shout out. And I I talked about a segment that I want to introduce, which is Headline Hunters. And it's based on Hunter Dickinson's run this offseason where he continues to get headlines. And I think there's a lot of headline hunters um, that are in the world of basketball and beyond. And one of the best headline hunters we've ever seen, and he hasn't even played a game of college basketball, his name is LeBron James. And LeBron James has been doing this for a long time, he knows how to get the headlines. If you go to college basketball and you go to ESPN right now, number one headline, and this is why he's a great headline hunter himself, Bronny James' parents are not hovering. This is the headline and this is the story. Andy Enfield, the head coach of USC, is letting everybody know that the James' parents, despite all of the hoopla, despite all of the, uh, the naysayers out there, he's not hovering. And neither is Savannah. They are not going to hover over Bronny James as long as he starts every game for the Trojans. They will not be hovering. Um, So don't worry about that. So shout out to LeBron and Bronny, honestly, for being headline hunters of the week. I thought that was great. Is that the
2: way of LeBron saying, don't get mad if I'm not at all the home games?
0: Maybe, Kyle. That's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> don't be like, where's LeBron? He's pulling the Coach K where he's like, I just don't I gotta want I got
2: to give my man some space, let him grow up. Right.
0: <laughs> I don't want to take away from his time. You know what I mean? But in reality, he's I'm just pissy. got better things I, to do. I ain't do. going to <laughs> shit. Yeah, right. He's got a radio show to run or whatever it is. Um. So, shout out to LeBron. Shout out to Bronny James's parents. I also like that. Like, the headline is Bronny James's parents as if we're not talking about LeBron James. That was nice. Shout out to the Adelaide 36ers. So if you didn't see this, you don't remember this. In the preseason, the Phoenix Suns, um, you know, they play the 36ers, which is an Australian NBL team. The 36ers beat them. Um, and it was a big story. And people were like, is there is the sky falling in Phoenix, all this sort of stuff. But the 36ers, they just tweeted a screenshot of the score as they quote tweeted, the Phoenix suns after they were knocked out of the playoffs. This was a great moment on the <laughs> internet. I, I just feel like not, not enough people are talking about the 36ers. Also the irony of this is that um, Devin Booker tweeted that like 36 is unbothered. He's of course talking about, he is number one, Kevin Durant is 35 together. They are 36. Also, the Adelaide 36ers, he did not think about the implication there that we would immediately see 36 and go back to the 36ers. Um, so that, that was great. Shout-out to the 36ers for being on it. Shout-out to Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic. There was a moment in this game, um, in game one, where Jokic just hits a fadeaway three as the third quarter is running out. And Anthony Davis gave him the you-got-to-be-kidding-me look. And then, you know, Jokic gave the Jordan shoulder, shr- shoulder shrug. It was just a great basketball moment, and I, you know, I talked about this in the brand wars. We need USA Basketball to have Anthony Davis at this level. I love to see Jokic playing at this level, um, and it's Battle of the Bigs. I love it so much. I'm enjoying the series. I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. I just thought that moment was like a great, you know, snapshot of what we have ahead. And Game One was a great snapshot of what we're going to have in the have ahead in the series. So shout out to both those guys. Shout out to Pella Larson um, for the Arizona Wildcats. He put a cryptic Instagram post up that basically was just him and his Arizona uniform. And I saw that. Reading between the lines, Kyle, he's coming back. And uh, the expectation was that he would come back. But that's a that's a nice piece for a team that is reloading. Again, they got Jaden Bradley from Alabama to help with the backcourt after they lost Kirk Creesa. So Tommy Lloyd doing it again. I like that. Um, shout out to Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. There was a tweet. Um, a guy sent in to KSR that was like, I'm on the side of the road right now, um, in North Carolina on I-40, and I look behind me, and who is it? It's Roy Williams um standing in traffic outside of his car on the side of the road. It was one of those real life moments. You know, you see a superstar coach in the wild. So shout out to Matt Jones and KSR doing the boots on the ground reporting. We love to see. Shout out to Grady Dick. Um, I just love saying his name. I love talking. Yeah, right. I just love talking about Grady Dick. He's the best, but he came out and said that he has a killer mindset on the court. He said that he just wants to kill who's ever in front of him. Uh, Bill Simmons uh, immediately took that and sent it in a group text with Joe house and said, this guy looks like a Washington wizard. Joe house said, fuck off. Um, But I love Grady Dick's confidence. I think that is one of the best thing he things he has in his arsenal. And confidence is one of the most important things you can have in the NBA, especially as a young guy. So shout out to him at the NBA Combine, getting things done. Speaking of the NBA Combine, another name to watch, Jordan Walsh. If you don't know the name, He is the 40th guy on KOC's uh, draft guide that just got updated. But Jordan Walsh is one of my favorite defenders in college basketball. He's a freshman that plays older than he is. I think he has great natural instincts. I just think he's a great player. I think he's some guy that you can... You know, if you were in the playoffs tomorrow, kind of like how Christian Brown is with the Denver Nuggets, this guy could play on your team and make winning plays, not shoot you out of game out of a game, not do dumb stuff. So Jordan Wash is apparently leaning more into swimming in the NBA waters right now. He's just testing the waters, but um, every time that I've been looking at combine notes, I see Jordan Wash's name flashing up, and I just want to say, I think Jordan Wash is going to be a steal. I'm not going to say he's like a Draymond Green level steal like a second round, but it, maybe he's like a Malcolm Brogdon level steal in the second round where he goes 34-35 and you get him. He's a really talented guy. So shout out to Jordan Walsh. I'm impressed. Um, this is You're going to love this. The Van Wilder of college basketball, Kyle. Oh, you have my thing. Say it. Seth Towns. Say it, yeah. He's going to enter the transfer portal and, uh, you know, drink if you've heard that one before. But this is going to be his eighth season. <laughs> God
2: damn it. Amazing.
0: basketball. Yeah, this is one past Van Wilder, who I believe was seven years in college. So Van Wilder was supposed to be exaggerated to the max. They're like, the most you could ever do is seven. Right. You, c- you can never do eight. Eight's just crazy. Eight, eight doesn't track. Seven we can do. The best we can do is seven. Um, and Seth Towns says, I'll, do, I'll, I'll one-up you. I'll do eight. So there you have it, Seth Towns. What did you think when you saw that story, Kyle?
2: I just saw it a couple minutes ago, but I was like, (laughs) oh, he's not going to have this one. Uh, Well, I guess my question is, is it like, we know, like age wins, like, you know, you you pretty much stop growing at a certain point. It's really Mm -hmm. just like, it's not like, oh, he's it's like, he's, you know, 21 in high school and just dominating. Like, are teams interested in the, in the 27-year-old, 28-year-old kind of guy. Yes. Like, yeah, they are. This is So he'll probably get grabbed up
0: then. We learned in the NCAA tournament this year. It was the oldest NCAA tournament ever. The right. average age was, I think, 23, and it basically rounds up to 24 in the NCAA tournament. And if you do the math there, 24-year-olds are not supposed to be playing college basketball. Right. But now we have, I mean, DeAndre Williams from Memphis was 27, for God's sakes, playing college basketball. And that was... If you want to do the math there, 27 was the first year that Michael Jordan won an NBA championship yes. to put that in context. So Seth Towns, I think it's good to be older. Half of the
2: reason for him though, right, was because he's had like a couple injuries mixed yes. with COVID and other shit. So yes.
0: he's had medical hardship um you know there's so many little, you know, he then he had the uh, graduate transfer year, then he had a COVID year. You know what I mean? With the way that it works now. If you have a team that can write good emails, I think that you (laughs) can get any sort of waiver. You could be like Peter Pan. You never have to grow up. (laughs) Well, the NCAA is like, we don't want to have any bad PR. So you get a waiver. (laughs) You get a waiver. As long as you're not two-time transferring and you're young, you get a waiver. So Seth Towns is just kind of milking the system. If anything, it's tip of the cap. Respect what he's got going so shout out to him shout out to leonard hamilton of florida state one of my favorite of my coaches. guys yeah one of your guys kyle he's the best coach ham we love him the the face of the new bloods for many people um he says he wants to double up the ncaa tournament field and this is obviously a, been a conversation point and you know it's something that gets brought up every single year should we add more teams to the field we're at 68 right now but really we're at 64 there's the you know the first four we know how it goes but he says he wants to double the field And I looked up his contract. He has a lot of bonuses if his team makes the NCAA tournament. So I'm not sure if we trust him, especially as he's losing guys in the transfer portal. I think Leonard Hamilton is just trying to, similar to Seth Towns, he's trying to milk that cow before he gets out of here. And I don't blame him. Respectfully of a
2: guy who, as a guy who gets little sleep during that week, fuck off Leonard Hamilton. We're yeah. not doubling
0: up. Yeah, there's there's already too many games for Kyle. He does not want any more games. But I, I thought that was a great headline. And I love looking up his contract. And I love incentives in a contract. And I love Leonard Hamilton just being a new blood, just being a top dog. We love to see it. Uh, last shout out for me. This is a ringer inside the house shout out. And it is about Joe House. Shout out to Joe House because he's covering the PGA championship this week. Um, we're trying to get a guest. I'm trying to help him get a nice former PGA professional. I won't say the name, just in case it all falls through. But I was talking to Joe House yesterday, and I haven't talked to him much and you know, over the over the past few years. And he's just the best, Kyle. So I wanted to shout out Joe House. If you don't like Joe House, you don't like yourself. Yeah. That's all I want to say. I've
2: been yeah. on a few trips with the guy. Great traveling guy. Just great the, traveling companion.
0: Bill Simmons is obsessed with great hangs. You know what I mean? Joe house is just a great hang both on the mic and off the mic. And, uh, you know, I just feel like he deserves his flowers as we're sitting here in front of a microphone and, uh, dealt with him yesterday, despite the Grady Dick text that bill sent, which I'm sure he didn't like that. Bill wrote me into it. Like it was my idea. It was not my idea, but Joe house and the Washington wizards, you deserve better trade Bradley Beal. I'm sure I talked about that on bill's podcast. I don't know what I talked about at this point, but, uh, you know, all good things. Any more shout-outs for you, Kyle, before we get out of here? Yeah, I'd like
2: to shout-out to listeners in advance. Uh, Brian Curtis wandered over this morning, and mm. I always get excited when I see Brian Curtis. He's just, you know, I love listening to him. And he pretty much threatened to take away Tate's capital J. Right. If we don't balance this out, we've had a couple Duke guys in a row. Granted, you know, you would take, that's a good, they're good guess. you would take them. So um, we were trying to figure out, like, what would be, Will be a fun, appropriate Duke uh, person to have on, so you can just go ahead and hit up uh, at One Shining Pod, just so we don't have to rack our brains. It makes Tate physically ill thinking about it, and I don't really know what uh, what names to pull out of that hat. So um, it'd be great if you could hit us with that. Shout out to you in advance, and then the last one. This is just a piece of news. Uh, North Hollywood's the uh, the star. I saw this on the news this morning. The uh, Star Garden strippers forming a union first strippers union in America. Wow. So uh you know the nation's watching uh you know women across America. You know I apparently they got some real work problems uh going on. So um you know just I I Keep your eyes on that. Uh, I think they're expected to form the first strippers union this week. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah, people helping people.
0: Yeah, I love that. I just couldn't imagine being a stripper and paying membership dues. I think that would be tough.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have thoughts. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I looked— But I
0: like it, though. I mean, I I like—that's where we're headed, you know? The
2: venue in question didn't look like it had a lot of issues, and I don't (laughs) think— I don't think they were getting soft. So um, shout out to the uh, the ladies at the Star Garden. And uh, you guys are truly pioneers.
0: Yeah, and I love that you're up on the local news. I've been watching the Today Show every single morning. And, uh, you know, not every single morning, probably the past two weeks. But I learn a lot. And I just want to put this out there also. And I'll also wrap up on that Duke point. Can I be Carson Daly? Can I meet Carson? Can we get Carson Daly on the show? And I just ask him, I want to do that job. I just want to do like the little five minute they throw to you. And he's like, here's what's happening in entertainment this week. That seems like the best gig ever. And he's the best at it. And Carson Daly is like the Forrest Gump of media. He has done so many odd jobs over the years. (laughs) He's been everywhere. He's been everywhere. And TRL was iconic. So I, I just want to shout out Carson Daly. And then wrapping up on your Duke point. Um, it's not that I don't like Duke people. In fact, I talk to Duke people, and I have friends that are Duke people. As I mentioned with Hansborough, Worldwide Dougie, he's a Duke guy that, that we like to you know throw into the mix here. Ryan Kelly, we got to get him on the show. Okay, he's got a podcast with my boy James Michael Mcadoo. Maybe we get both of them together. Oh no! Ah, see, yeah, you you're, see, you're yeah. slanted again. Yeah, see, now, yeah, now Brian Curtis is Brian this, Curtis this Curtis close is at the door <laughs> he's right now. Close. He's literally trying to he's trying to make it un- underscored and he's trying to get my attention. He's going to take my J away. All right, so maybe Josh McRoberts. I would love to have JJ Reddick. By the way, you know this. Yeah,
2: I don't think he's just. It's above us now. I think there was a time when he was like would have been happy to be out there. I think now, you know, we. I guess we do know Tommy Alter.
0: We do know Tommy Alter, and maybe we have Tommy on, and then we pressure him to bring J.J. on. But people forget this. I edited his podcast here when he was at The Ringer. I learned a lot about J.J. We had a lot of middlemen in the way, Tommy Alter being one of them. <laughs> but uh, J.J., I worked on your show, and I feel like at some level, does he owe us one? Does he yeah. owe us ten minutes? I think probably, probably ten minutes. We'll take that. But uh, again, like Kyle said, the the handle is at one shining pod. If you want to see a Duke person on this podcast, tweet them at me. I'll have them all on. Sheldon Williams, I know him. We could have Sheldon on. Um, you know, we could we could run through the whole Mike Dunlevy. There I we might, go. I might I like Mike. You know what I mean? Like not like Mike Jordan, but I like Mike Dunlevy. So we'll figure it out. We got some Duke guys in the mix. We're gonna have you know some Pac twelve guys. Uh, Coach Steve Lavin, talked to him yesterday. Coach, oh, yeah. Coach Lav, who's at San Diego right now, said he would love to come on the show, great. tell some stories. He's putting a great staff together. Tyus Edney from uh, UCLA fame just joined his staff down at San Diego. So, look, we'll have some coaches. I understand. We had Kenny Smith. We had Tyler Hansborough. But in my brain, Kenny Smith's an NBA guy. You, say, you
2: don't say no to those guys generally. Of
0: course. Of course. Kenny Smith's an NBA guy. Tyler is a podcast guy now. So, it's different. But, of course, they're Carolina guys. And, uh, again, shout out to Coach K. He is getting in yet another Hall of Fame. He will not stay out of the headlines. He probably will end up being the headline hunter of the year um hunter dickinson that would be a big upset if he can knock him out but we'll see what happens again this has been one shining podcast appreciate everyone tuning in and we will see you again on monday with kyle mann